the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Merry Christmas. I have a couple of quotes. One's a little bit longer, but this was uh, from Mark Twain, and this is from a man on the street that he met on Christmas Day. Right is right, wrong is wrong. And nobody ain't got no business doing wrong when he ain't ignorant and knows better, especially on Christmas Day. And then, dear editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there's no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus it's from Virginia O'Hanlon, 115 West 95th Street, uh, 95th Street, I'm sorry. And uh, Mr. Church, who was the editor at that point, said, Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible to their little minds. All minds, Virginia whether they be a man or a child, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, and is compared with the boundless world about him as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth and knowledge. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist, and you know that they abound and give to your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there was no Virginia's. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills this world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus? You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch in all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if they did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would they prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but there's no sign that there's no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor man can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not. But there's no proof that they're not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders that are unseen and unseeable in this world. You may tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside, but there is a veil covering the unseen world, which not the strongest man or even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, fancy, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view the picture that the supernal beauty and glory beyond it is all real. Ah, Virginia, in all this world, there's nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus? Thank God he lives, and he lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make the glad, the heart of childhood. Merry Christmas, everybody. Anyway, thought I had to do that. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, uh, you know, the uh, once again, we always recommend going to our webpage. And, you know, our webpage has a lot of good stuff on it, so I'll just I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, if you go to WHK1420's webpage, you can go right down to local podcasts down to smart investor show and uh you can find me and by the way if you don't want to hear me live you can go back to the podcast anytime you want or you want to listen to it more than once because we do put a lot of information pack a lot of information i think we do anyway so we dive into the hot topics of u.s equities and notable updates and in, in some of our top-down indicators uh in the spotlight this week are the results of our our snap survey which we did and uh Three, three, three big things you need to know. Roughly half of the respondents are optimistic of the performance of the stock market over the next six to 12 months, with the performance outlook supported by constructive views on the economy and cash deployment. 
but weighed down by concerns about valuations, policy, and, and margins. Policy is one of the real big ones, by the way. In terms of hot topic, monetary policy and inflation are the top of the list, keeping investors up at night. Uh, while the optimists continue to outweigh the pessimists on Omicron, and the middle quarters of 2022 continue to be in focus for supply chain improvements. Number three, in terms of positioning, high-quality U.S. and large cap generally viewed as a safer part of the stock market were the most popular choices for outperformance over the next six to 12 months. And it's interesting because it's energy, cyclicals, financials, and value. Uh, well, I should say the risk on trade faded since September. You know, uh, we t- talked about the everything rally. Well, it happened, and then there was a buyer strike <laughs> in the middle of uh, – uh, you know, when the we had the Omicron show up the day after Thanksgiving, and then we had the Fed talk on Tuesday, and there was a buyer strike for a week there. So, you know, uh, Tom Percelli, our head economist, talked about, you know, he highlighted in the Daily Deck last week that he thought March is fast becoming a real possibility for the start of the liftoff of interest rates. And the, star, the stars seem to be aligned on that score, by the way. And we show in a chart in the daily deck, inflation will be near the highs at the March FML uh, Federal Open Market Committee uh, meeting. And now the acceleration in the taper the Fed announced today, the asset purchase program will also finish just ahead of that meeting. So if there's any lingering question about ending taper and then starting a new hiking cycle nearly immediately after that, Powell answered the question twice uh, the other day. He said first, I don't foresee that there would be any kind of very extended wait at this time. The economy is so much stronger. I was here at the Fed when we lifted off last time, and the economy is so much stronger now, so much closer to full employment. Inflation is running well ahead of target, and the growth is well above potential. There wouldn't be the need for that kind of long delay. All right, so now the second thing we found uh, during the, the last meeting was removal of a hike in 2024. Uh, on the face of it, we have no doubt that some people wonder if that means perhaps the Fed will go a bit more gently. Uh, they, We think it might be a little bit more aggressively, so we'll just leave it at that. You know, one of the areas I think that could be very interesting is uh, the chemical area. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is very important because in commodity chemicals, we are, are very favorable uh, uh, with a couple different sectors. Um you know, uh, we think polyethylene is, is probably past its peak, but there's a couple other sectors that might be very, very good for the uh, the chemical area, especially in pricing power. There's a couple stocks that have enormous pricing power. And if you'd like to have our 2020 outlook for chemical and packaging, it's, a, it's an area, believe me, you're going to have to start getting used to it. You know, technology will probably do still do okay, but I think it, there'll be other areas where you have to be. And, uh, if you'd like this, you know, you go to WHK1420, uh, their webpage, and they go to local podcast down to, you know, the Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, and you can go right to my webpage there. You can get a lot of stuff there. The dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, the chemical and packaging outlook, I think will be important in my humble opinion. So, look, 2021 has seen inflation eat into consumers' buying power, and the dollar is not going as far, and it's, and it's evidence whether we're talking about gas prices or grocery shopping. Uh, what happens, well, it's often missed uh, is that inflation eats into investment returns as well, and that, all right? As inflation reaches near 40-year highs, I mean, we've got to go back to 1978, the last time we saw this kind of inflation. Uh, you know, the consumer price index climbed 6.8% year over year. Wow. And so it's important to remember that inflation is a fact of life. For all things of financial value, including equity market price levels uh, and returns, so that's something to think about. So, the S&P 500 is is on track for about a 25% gain this year. However, if the consumer prices end the year at 7%, the real purchasing power is only 18%. Okay, so put differently, in a hypothetical scenario, inflation would eat more than a quarter of last year's equity market returns. That's a lot. All right, <laughs> so. For, for much of the post Great Recession time period, the, the you know inflation has averaged 1.7 percent, I think, or something like that. So it didn't eat into your returns as much. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more up and uh, economic ups and downs coming go, going forward. But 
you know, employment is just 4.2% and falling, but a lot of people have left the employment world. What's really interesting is with this type of inflation, real yields are still at a negative level, okay? So if I look at the 10-year Treasury minus inflation, the real current yield is negative 5.4%. It's a lot, you know? So uh, when you think of things, you know, think that way. All right, because you got to you got to think in the real world, and uh, you know, so it, it's it, it's really going to eat to your returns. And so, look, uh, some people ask me what you know I think is a fair expectation going into 2020. I think something closer to average year in terms of stock returns makes sense. Um, and the average year is you know uh, about 8.9 percent on the S and P 500 anyway. Um, and most of that is dividends, okay? So that's something to think of. Uh, now, look, the two-year-old COVID uh, pandemic has left its imprints on our society, shall we say, yet markets have been rather re- resilient when you think of it. You know, Omicron came and boom, we de- we're down 870 points on the open the day after Thanksgiving, but nobody was there. Now the Fed gave it a one-two punch, you know, with their commentary that Tuesday. But look, our team of analysts and strategists in U.S., Canada, and Europe, uh, all over the world, uh, published a uh, the global outlook uh, just recently. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm going to stress this. There's five points to be made here. The U.S. and global economy should deliver above trend growth once again in 2022. A little bit less robust than it was, uh, you know, last year, but uh, or this year, I should say. And currently, all six of the major uh, U.S. leading economic indicators that we follow are signaling that this expansion is further run. Recession risks are quite low, and uh, there's a, some powerful tailwinds here that's pushing the, for the U.S. And inflation, is, which has spread to all regions, is one of the key challenges facing policymakers. So, how do you, you know, get raise interest rates without blowing the place up? Is what he's trying to say in so many, what we're trying to say in so many words. So, central banks will aim to the right size policy support in 2022. And the process of dialing back the accommodation with rate hikes and other measures will be about finding the right balance, and that's going to be very important. And also, uncertainties about inflation and the pace of rate hikes could generate market volatility going forward, okay? Now, I'm going to mention this one again. I said you go to WHK1420 and go right to, you know, local podcast down to to, uh, uh, our – you know, a web page. You can go directly to our web page. But the U.S. electrical grid. If you're going to buy all these electric cars. You know, you need electrical grid. So <laughs> there we go. Hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, Mark Investor Show. Uh, I'm Tim Hayes. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Uh, Merry Christmas again. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me, uh, what what do you think is going to happen next year? And look, I, Blackstone and a bunch of other people are pouring a lot of money into sustainable technology. And I think it's going to be in four or five areas. And, I, you know, you've got to follow the flow of money, okay? Uh, you know, uh, Willie, whatever his name was, the guy who robbed banks, they said, why do you rob banks? He's because that's where the money is. <laughs> so follow the money. Uh, green tech, keeping it clean. Believe me, that's going to get bigger and bigger. Uh, all, uh, all my nephew, nieces and nephews, that's all they talk about. Health tech, healing health care's ailments, you know, making it cheaper to get whatever you need done. FinTech, FinTech is the future. Trust me on that. Agricultural, uh, I'll call it agri-tech and food tech uh, is going to be very big and smart cities and sustainable cities are going to be the other things that I think are going to be very, very important going forward. So, look, 
Until well into 2023, we think the trajectory of the world's major economies will be shaped by the normal progression of the business cycle and the remaining effects of the policies put in place to contend with the pandemic. This phase should be good for equities as long as U.S. and global recessions can be avoided, okay? So beyond 2023, I think some of these emergency policy-driven effects, you know, should uh, quickly very quickly wane and leaving the first principles to drive the economic bus. So there, there, look, the principles are growth of labor force and increase in productivity and earnings, earnings, earnings. People ask me all the time, you know, what is, what drives the stock market? You know, the politics, it ain't the politics. It's the earnings. If the politics affects the earnings, that's different, but it's earnings, earnings, earnings. And it's as simple as that. So uh, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, look, we had the equity markets test some key levels last week, and they held. All right, now we had a couple-day rally for the Christmas uh, thing. But remember, we got to look at the long view sometimes, okay? And remember that when, when we have an uptrend in the market, which started back in 2009, and we, we said it on the show, by the way, March 6th of 2009, we were on live on the air. We said, it's time to buy, Okay. We were at the bottom end of the trend line, and we bounced up. And so we, we had this uptrend where what we do is when we hit a top, we draw that line across the tops, and then we same thing we do with the bottoms. And we're at the top of the trend line. And the monthly momentum is very overbought, okay? you got to think that way, all right? So some clients asked me this week, you know, Tim, why aren't we buying anything? And I, I am buying a few things for new money, all right? I had a couple of new accounts come in, and uh, very nice people, by the way. Boy, it's amazing how nice the people are out there. And But it you've got to understand that you've got to be thinking five, ten years out now, okay, because we're very overbought. So the last time this happened uh, was back in, in uh, 2000, I think it was 14. And for two years, we went sideways, and then we started going up again, okay? So, and by the way, we had a 15% drip, dip and a, 10, a 12% dip during that period of time. So, and a 5% dip, just to make sure you're paying attention. So, you know, I, I, the, the bull market's not over, and I'm not suggesting that in any, you know, manner. What I'm suggesting is, on a long-term basis, you have to be paying attention, okay? It's as simple as that. Now, the other thing, uh, the NDX is was right near key support. Uh, the NDX is the NASDAQ 100, all right? So it was very close to key support there. And the 10-year yield has traded sideways most of 2021, which, you know, is interesting. We said we'd probably do that, and, and then it broke below the, um, the support level. And I thought, uh, maybe, maybe we're going down again. I don't think we're going down again. But uh, it's amazing, after the Fed said all that, the Omicron virus has held yields down, in my opinion. So that'll, it'll be interesting to see what occurs here. Now, the Russell 2000 was, you know, I was very excited because it had been going sideways since March. Actually, since 2021 started. And it broke out, and then it fell right back. Now, it held support. And it'll be interesting to see because I think what you'll see going forward is a scenario where, you know, we have this thing called the January effect. Remember, it's not a year-end rally. The January effect is simply we have a lot of stocks that got beat up on tax loss selling, and they bounce. That should help the Russell. Let's see if it uh, continues on. And if I look at growth versus value, you know, uh, large-cap growth uh, is winning versus large-cap value. However, mid-cap and small-cap, it's all value, okay? So uh, just remember that, please. Um, now, some people have asked me, um, you know, <laughs> when, when is this volatility going to stop? And I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, this week the, vol the VIX broke below 18, which is positive. It had been up as far as 36. Uh, so, but, you know, the equity markets are going to remain volatile, all right, and, and by the way, I'm going to talk about something in the next segment of the show you better listen to. Uh, and the question is whether the cycle, the cycle that began in, in 2020 is peaking. Remember, we have 
16 to eight year, 18 year cycles. They are what they call secular bull markets or secular bear markets. Right now, we're at the beginning, you know, first couple of years of a secular bull market. Now, they have, look, we had 1987 in one of the greatest bull markets ever, okay? And we had 1990 uh, when Saddam Hussein rode into town. So we do have, you do have bear moves during those period of times, i.e. 2020. But we also have four-year cycles, and that's important because what you have is one year, you know, one year where we bottom, that was 2020, next year's up, two years in a row maybe up, third year goes sideways, fourth year we, we have a dip, <laughs> all right? Uh, so that cycle's still going uh, on. And I think the 10-year yield is, again, stress-testing an important technical level, and it's held. So we'll see what happens. I, I think growth stocks have been holding up really well, mega-cap growth most notably. You know, they beat up the financials a little bit when the yields came back. Remember, the higher the yields, the bigger the spread for the banks and all the financials. That's very uh, important. The other thing is... Uh, by the way, there's a couple of financials that held up really, really well, and I own them, <laughs> which is good. And and also the defensive and safety area, uh, you know, uh, some of the real big high-quality healthcare names and some of the staples and the utilities have looked really, really good. So, um, you know, but, you know, I, like I said, I, I just want everybody to remember, if I look at the monthly chart, okay, Going back to 2009, we're at the top end of the trend line, and the monthly momentum is peaked. So be careful, you know, over the next month. You know, buy things when they're down. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, what's interesting is the daily is very oversold, okay? So, uh, by the way, monthly momentum can peel back. Look, back in the spring, I talked to you about the bullish percent was at 80%, okay? And it went down to 60, then it went to 78, then it went down to 60, then it went to 74, then it went down to 60, went to 72, and did that twice. Then it went to 70 and went down. Then it went to 64. And now it's at 40, okay? So if you don't know this, underneath the surface, there's a lot of stocks getting hammered, okay? Very much hammered. So now I think what's very important is, uh, you know, the, the small caps need to be part of this because you don't want the knights and the kings uh, you know, out there fighting your war for you unless you have the archers and the foot soldiers behind them, okay? And uh, so we're, we're still in, we went back into that consolidation that we've been in since 2021 started. And that, that could be a problem, okay? The other problem is the relative performance versus the S&P 500 is broken down, which is not good. Some good things is I look at the American Association of Individual Investors investment sentiment, is you know it's become a little bit more bullish. Um, you know we had a, we had a, showed a decline in bullish sentiment just recently, which is on a contrarian basis is 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 bullish, and the bearish sentiment has climbed, but not to extreme levels in either cases. All right, so it's it's kind of wishy washy, and I think you, you have to remember that. But you know on a daily basis, if I look at growth versus value, growth is winning in the large cap area. Values winning in the small and mid cap area. Now, one other area that we were very high on was the low volatility index or the high beta index versus the low volatility index. That's the, the, the basic materials, the, you know, the uh, industrials and all those people. They had, uh, they kind of broke support. Uh, and, and if they, you know, right at key, you know, they broke the near term support and at key support, they rallied. So we've got to watch that carefully because that may mean, that it's time to buy staples and all those other names, all right? Uh, because uh, when they start to slow down, you got to be careful. Now, the dollar index uh, exceeded our expectations. So, you know, broke out and continued on. And, uh, you know, our expectation, our expectation was for the U.S. dollar to stall uh, somewhere around here. Uh, but, you know, with interest rates going up, it's probably going up higher because uh, that's how dollars work, you know. Uh, you, you can't buy our interest rates. Uh, unless you buy them with dollars. So you got to buy dollars to buy the bonds, right? Uh, so keep that in mind. <clears throat> um, now, one of the things that, you know, the Euro-Japanese yen, which tends to be a indicator of how the industrials are going to do, declined <clears throat> uh, a lot more than we thought it was. You know, it had broken out and looked like it was getting ready to go. Now, the pullback has been much deeper than my or Rob Schleimer, our head technician's expectations. But it's it's very oversold, so that could be positive for those high beta stocks that we talked about. And I think uh, 
you know, oil broke out and then and came right back to support in the 6062 level. And we'll see see how it goes from here. Uh, I think what's really interesting is copper remains range bound. And, you know, Dr. Copper is very important for the economy. So uh, a break above 489 would be very, very positive for it. Um, and, you know, that it could be very, very positive. And if I look at the daily, you know, we're still oversold and we've broken the downtrend line and we're holding onto that downtrend line, which is very, very important. Uh, so something to think about going forward. Now, look, I, it's the end of the year. I think a couple things you want to be doing. You want to be thinking about a wealth plan. You know, you, it's not good. If you don't have a plan, you're in trouble. All right. But I think if you look at the long term trend line, we're in a reflation period. Okay. We went through deflation for almost 14 years and now we're in a reflation area. So the current 17 year cycle will likely peak somewhere around 2034. That's a long way from here. So you can make a lot of money in that time before our next secular bull ma- bear market. I'm sorry. All right. So keep that in mind. And, and, um, but remember, on a monthly basis, we're very overbought. Okay. On a daily basis, we're very oversold. You got to put those two together and make sense of it sometime. If you can't, give me a call. Uh, my numbers, uh, you know, if you go to WHK1420 down to local podcast, my numbers uh, there. It's also, uh, you go to my webpage and order a few things. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Adeste fideles, leti triumphantes, venite, venite, in Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. Merry Christmas! And uh, you know, I, I was I was looking at some things, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, it, matter of fact, it was very very interesting in that uh, I was looking at the natural gas and the in in Dutch terms, and natural gas went from less than twenty five cents a cubic foot to one hundred and seventy six thirty two because they don't have any gas. And uh, so I thought maybe that the liquid natural gas guys would go. That hasn't happened. So we'll see what happens going on. I, I, I also had uh, Alan call me this week and said, you know, do you do Bitcoin? I don't. Okay. I'm a retirement advisor. Bitcoin is, is not really legal yet, uh, 100% legal, although a lot of people think it is. But what's amazing is, is Bitcoin and Ethereum have barely pulled back, yet the index of all the stocks, in the crypto index and as that crypto index are getting killed. <laughs> I mean, that peaked out around 4,300. I think it is. It's now like 3,200 and uh, way below its uh, trend line. So there we go. Now we always talk about, you know, risk management on this show and that's, what's important is risk management. All right. You know, if you're going to buy a stock, buy it for the long run. And uh, you know, th- unfortunately some, we've had some, <laughs> Uh, disturbances in the force this year where some of the smaller names got beat up. But uh, we follow something called the bullish percent. And the bullish percent is merely a thing that was designed back in the 30s so people would be bullish when everybody else was bearish and bearish when everybody else was bullish. Because when everybody else is greedy, you should be frightened. When everybody else is frightened, you should be greedy. That's simple. I hate to say greedy on Christmas, but that's the way it is. So uh, this gentleman who is a protege of Charles Dow put together the bullish percent. And what it is, is a, it's a chart that goes from zero to 100. And uh, a column of X's means the offensive teams on the field. A column of O's means the defensive teams on the field. And, and believe me, when the column of O's hit, uh, usually regression back to the mean happens a lot faster than the move up. Okay, so it's that simple. There's two points at this uh, thing when you're when you're over 70, which we were last March, and we talked about it all last March. We were at 80. 
When you're over 70, that's the red zone. When things are too hot to handle, okay? And then we went to 78, 76, 74, 72 twice, and then we dropped like a brick, okay? And, and uh, now some of the big stocks held up. The S&P 500 held, held up. Uh, the question is, will that be the same, same thing that's going to happen in the new year? And the key is, is that when you get below 30, that's the green zone. That's when everybody's bearish. Remember back in 2020 on this show, we got the four. And I said, I've never seen the bullish percent this low buy. It was a good call. <laughs> right now, uh, we, we're a column of O's. Uh, we're, we're down 5.7% today, uh, this week at 41.4%. So we're getting close to that 30%, you know, because it's been a long year, all right? And, you know, this, the S&P's held up, but the Russell got Russell was down 12% in a week. Uh, and there's a lot of stocks. Well, we did a study, the New York Stock Exchange Index, which is a lot of stocks, almost 70% stocks, 70 of the stocks are down 30% or more this year. That's a butt-kicking, excuse the expression, but that's what it is. Uh, and the over-the-counter index, which is at 32, and that's in a column of O's, the world index is at 37. It was down 3.5% for the week. That's in a column of O's. So we're in distribution. Now, people say, oh, 40, that's, you know, it's getting close to 30. It's okay. Some of the worst sell-offs I've ever seen <laughs> have occurred right about now, right? So keep it in mind. Now, what's interesting is this is a world record for the bullish percent. We moved up and down 15 times this year. I've never seen that, okay? Tim Hayes talking outright. Uh, so it's the most volatile year I can remember in my life. I, I'm not a spring chicken. All right, so uh, there we go. Now, one of the things we've seen in the last couple of weeks is the staples, the healthcare, and the utility sectors have, have really done well as far as their momentum. They're still dead last in, in uh, dynamic asset level investing, but – that's where the money's been flowing. Also, I would say uh, real estate and then materials after that. So uh, communication services, which tends to be mostly Verizon and, and AT&T, have held up fairly well. AT&T actually rallied a little bit last week. <laughs> uh, but if I look, uh, it's the staples, you know, which had been on a long downtrend, uh, and I, I'm using first trust staples uh, uh, because they use the Alphadex formula, which I like. And I, if I if I do that versus metals and minings, you know, on a relative strength basis, we're very close to a breakout on the staples. And same with the small cap uh, versus the Internet index, the Dow Jones Industrial Internet index. So, uh, you know, uh, staples are kind of the place that, that people want to be right at the moment, simply because I think they're they're frightened of what the the Federal Reserve's going to do in the upcoming year. So, just keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's you know, the, what I've been seeing is food retail and the wholesalers index, the cosmetic index, the household products, uh, you know, uh, also, you know, food products, soft drinks, you know, those type of things. Uh, the tobacco index has not really participated, so, and the, and, the, and the beer index is not either. But if we look at dynamic asset level investing, this is relative strength investing, okay? That's what you want to be paying attention to. Technology still has the number one place financials number two overtaking consumer cyclicals by seven votes and then real estate which has come from dead last and i said that might happen remember i said buy yield when it's down that was last june and then industrials and energy now dead last are healthcare, utilities and consumer uh communication services and not consumer non-cyclical or staples and they're the ones in the last three weeks that have done the the biggest move up Okay, it's held the best. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, you know, somebody said, should you overweight technology? I said, yes. <laughs> now, I've had lots of questions about international stocks. And, uh, you know, I couldn't find anything really that uh, fit my bill, but my friends at Dorsey Wright did. <laughs> By the way, the Dorsey Wright uh, in Virginia are the people that bring us the bullish percent. They're the keepers of it, all right? Uh, the NASDAQ now owns them, I believe, uh, but there was one chart that they showed me that I was pretty impressed with, and that is the Switzerland ETF. I looked at like three of them. There's one that broke a, you know, four times top, and that's you know the more tops you break, the more bullish you can get. 
So Switzerland may be a place if you if you have international money that you might want to do. Uh, I think it might have a lot to do with one certain company in Switzerland, <laughs> uh, which is which is a staple, by the way. It's been holding up uh, really well, which I own quite a bit of. Uh, now the other thing is, I guess, is you know if we look at the fixed income, uh, you know we've had a lot of volatility in in the intermediate to long term treasury yields. Uh, you know the ten year yield index had formed a potential uh, triangle pattern, and the Fed plans to speed up the taper of its asset purchases and potentially increase interest rates in early to mid-2020 so far as not resulting in a sustained ride in, in long-term yields. So we actually broke down out of that. And further on the yield curve, the Fed policy has more more direct effect on the two-year Treasury yield, and it remains... Uh, you know, multiple buy signals. Uh, so, you know, they're buying the yields on the short term, while the 10-year is kind of in a downtrend. Uh, now, it, it would need to break 155, 1.55% for it to be, uh, you know, back uh, paying attention. And since the Fed spoke and the Omicron virus sh- showed up, the uh, the most of the commodities got killed, with the exception of agriculture. You know, agriculture... Uh, has been doing great. And uh, by the way, one of the best fund scores out there is a contrarian strategy. So everybody else was talking about growth, growth, growth. The contrarians were talking about staples, utilities. They're the ones winning right at the moment. That's the last five weeks. But agriculture has has made a big, big move uh, in 2020, um, 2020 and 2021. So we'll see if it continues. But uh, the agriculture culture group has delivered some outsized returns uh, without subjecting investors to a high degree of risk. And I, I like that. Um, and if you look uh, on a commodity, you know, people were talking about agriculture. A lot of people were looking at carbon, um, you know, the carbon ETF and uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's up there, but it's, uh, you know, the, if you look at a Doppler relative strength uh, type chart, it's way up there. So you got to be a little bit more careful. Um, you know, so I think, you know, if, if I, I was looking at different groups and, you know, I, a lot of these large cap growth stocks had, you know, pretty big moves. And, you know, I think, you know, stuff like Tesla's rolled over because, uh, you know, a certain guy was selling insider stock and stuff like that. But, you know, some of them had pretty big moves and have had decent sized corrections now. So the question is, will they, you know, will they continue? And then I'm, I looked and I... I saw some of the uh, the financials have, you know, in some cases have just been going sideways, you know, up and down a little bit. Uh, and a few a few of them are really, you know, kind of digging in a little bit, I guess, uh, at some support. So it'll be interesting to see if these continue. Um, now, there's a couple, there's one major bank that doesn't look so good. So, uh, you know, you got to be careful what you buy there. But, uh, and then the other thing is I'm seeing, um, a lot of the healthcare stocks that we follow, um, big, big cap healthcare stocks look really, really good on the charts. And I did just leave that at that. Uh, but even, you know, some names like in, that haven't been looking so hot, uh, you know, have rallied pretty big um, since the Fed spoke. <laughs> uh, and, and then the other area I would highly, you know, uh, I had lots, you know, I did my charts today. And I have lots of utilities, lots of utilities, uh, and, and lots of REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts. And, you know, REITs aren't just uh, all on, you know, based on uh, uh, real estate. There are also ones that build towers for 5G. There are also ones that do uh, server farms for companies and, uh, uh, you know, that type of thing. So don't just be, you know, locked into real estate, you know, from here on in. Anyway. Once again, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee, go to my webpage, WHK1420. Go down to local podcast down the Tim Hayes Smart Investor Show. goes directly to my webpage. Give me a call or an email. Uh, we'll be right back with Insider. Stay tuned. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Okay, we're back. And now uh, for the Christmas version <laughs> of Insider Buying, our good friend Dustin Muscovitz, you know, he's one of the founders of Facebook, has once again bought one, well, he bought 1.25 million shares of Asana. Now, that's his second purchase since it, it got beat up. You know, they beat up a lot of the software stocks uh, after the Sped spoke, um, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, so he continues to buy. And the other thing, uh, and I think I mentioned this last week, is the Baker Brothers bought Insight. And it, this was after a breakout. They bought it. And, they, you know, they own, I think, like, they bought a million shares twice. And... Uh, well, and they bought a million shares and then 350,000 shares, but they already owned like 27,000 or 27 million shares. So they're stepping up to the plate. Now, um, they're they're quite good at the biotech fields, uh, you know, so that's big. Also, Coliseum Capital Management, uh, for those guys who like Purple Innovations, which is, uh, you know, uh, into mattresses, they stepped up to the plate and bought quite a bit of stock. They bought uh, 2.9 million shares, which is 33 million bucks at 11.38, and then they bought uh, also uh, 2.76 million shares at 11.76. That's another 32.4 million. So they spent 66 million bucks, in so many words. Uh, you know, take it, take it with, as, you, as you will. Also, Bruce Leeds, uh, you know, who's the vice chairman of Global Industrial Group. Remember last week they bought quite a bit of stock. He bought another 775,000 shares or $25 million worth, uh, which is not chump change <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. So it was a pretty big move, I think. And then Mario Gabelli came back and he bought uh, his equity trust. He bought uh, another uh, 60,000 shares for $6 bucks at 100. All right. So, you know, I think Mario did a couple things just recently. He, you know, he's buying his equity trust when it's down. And then he's also, he bought like twice as much as he did here in the healthcare area that I've been watching that that's up like 12% since he bought it. Uh, I'm sorry, 6% since he bought it. Uh, he bought 12 million shares. I got the numbers wrong. My apologies. Now here's another one I think is kind of interesting. Um, and then this guy's CEO and, and chairman of the board. So Barry Sternlich, uh, is is a member well starwood property trust and you know he he paid 22 for this now it's moved quite a bit uh on his buy and and i think that's important too you know it's up to 24 but he he bought 4.9 million dollars worth and uh, barry is no dummy uh no dummy at all and then also we had mp materials uh, we had a uh, director, uh, Randall Weisenberger, buy 3.4 million shares. And then Hyatt, uh, Alrojando Reynal, um has bought $2 million worth. And then he, uh, I mean, two, yeah, and then he bought another $1.9 million worth just recently. And here's a name I haven't seen for a while. It's Chewy. I made a lot of money on this stock and then stepped out because I was worried. And uh, he stepped up to the plate and bought $1.4 million. Uh, $0.49 million worth. This is the first buy in this stock since they came public. So you like seeing that. And then our friend uh, Sadar Balagri, uh, who, you know, this this guy, they're in the hotel and area. He's chairman and CEO of the company. Uh, he paid $148 for 10,000 shares, which is $1.4 million. Bucks. Uh, not chump change. And then also Planet Labs, which is in the aerospace and defense, it was a SPAC. We had the first buy there. The president, Kevin Wheel, bought a uh, uh, million dollars worth. Now, here's something interesting is Alexander um, Ford English, Alexandra, I'm sorry, Ford English, who's a director at Ford. Uh, we talked about William Clay buying last week, bought another $740,000 worth of uh, Ford this week. So there we go. And also Randy Ernst, who's chairman and CEO of uh, American Asset Trust, has bought more stock. You remember he was buying back in the spring. Uh, he, he's, he's bought $700,000 worth two, three times and uh, and then bought another $600,000 worth. I forgot to mention that uh, Casey McCarvey, uh, who's also uh, uh, Purple Innovations uh, legal counsel, 
about half a million dollars worth of stock there too. So uh, we get quite a few people. A couple things I'll just mention because they're smaller names, but Medtronic got beat up because the FDA delayed something. I noticed uh, a director, Rich Anderson, who's a very bright guy, by the way, uh, bought uh, uh, about half a million dollars worth of stock. So you like to see him buying things on, on pullbacks. Uh, I always do anyway. And uh, so, I mean, you know, that's something that pay attention. And then there was another gentleman at Starwood that bought, uh, he's a, he's president, Jeff uh, DeModico, who bought about $140,000 worth. So we've, we've, we've had a few names there that uh, they bought multiple, you know, amounts of the stocks. Uh, another name that I think is interesting because it's Olo and company, it's a software company. And this is the first buy since the company came public. Uh, Dan Myers, uh, Dan Meyer, uh, bought uh, $140,000. I like seeing stocks that where they come public, you know, they're just dumping stock, dumping stock, and suddenly they buy a bunch of it. Uh, usually it's because they're down. And then one more is our friend Jack Schuler, you know, who used to be CEO of, uh, or not, I'm sorry, uh, um, co, uh, co-president or something like that of Abbott Labs, has bought some more of the accelerated diagnostics. Uh, you know, this guy owns 18 million shares. He just bought another 54,000 uh, just last week. So, uh, you know, Pay attention there. Uh, but I, I think, you know, you've got a couple names there where uh, guys have come public and their stocks have got creamed and now they're buying it. And that's something to pay uh, very close attention to because usually uh, that's a good thing. So let's go back and let's just sum up what we're, we're talking about. First of all, I'm going to say this, you know, again, the bullish percent is in a column of O's. It's the 15th change we've had this year. And people say, oh, well, that, it didn't affect my portfolio. Well, if you're in the S&P 500, it didn't, but I have a feeling it will <laughs> very soon. And, uh, you know, the, the last part of a correction occurs in the stocks that held up the best, okay, in nine, nine out of ten cases. And uh, just remember that going into the new year. So I think the important thing is, is that, uh, look, uh, you have this four-year cycle, okay, so it started in 2020. We're through that. We're going into 2022. So we've got, you know, two of the four years behind us. So 2022 will probably be a year of digestion, okay? And 2023 might be a year of correction. And I, I think that's important. And I also, you know, I, I talk about this S&P 500 index is at the top of its trend line. It's not, it's not bearish. It's just overbought. People have been stuffing their money in the S&P 500 uh, for a long time now, and I think, you know, they may eat it uh, for for a period of time, or it's just going to go sideways, okay? Because if it breaks out through this trend line, it'll be called what they call going parabolic. And that, believe me, is not good. That is not a good, you know, that that's very, very good for a short period of time, and then it becomes very, very bad very quickly. So the momentum has peaked, <laughs> and I think that's what you got to take into mind. So you got to think long-term, but in the meantime, you know, the daily is oversold, okay? So we're going to probably have that January effect. Remember, the January effect is not necessarily an all-cap rally. It's usually small-cap stocks that have been beat up or stocks that have been beat up by tax loss selling, okay? These are not exactly investments usually. They're trading. It's a trading opportunity. Uh, very few of them take off for the whole year. But what it does is it gives portfolio managers a chance when they sold the stock to come back in and try again, okay, if they really think the stock is done well. Believe me, there's a lot of stocks out there. You know, the biotechnology world, who a lot of people are talking about, uh, is is down and out. I mean, there's I've seen stocks go from 10 to 1, all right, and in a year. <laughs> and with no real bad news, okay, uh, no real good news, but no real bad news either. So I, I, I think the, the important thing is uh, if you look at the S&P 500, and everybody does, okay, the advanced decline line is near its low. I mean, it actually almost broke down. You know, there was a trend line there, and it got right down there, and this rallied up a little bit, and now it's going back to test that again. So the, the, we got the leaders up there. You know, the knights and the kings are fighting the war, but they got no support. They got no supply train. They got no archers. They've got no uh, foot soldiers behind them. They're all back at the barracks. And uh, I think the other thing that will be telling for the coming year is the Russell 2000. You know, if it holds here and turns back up, 
it'd be very positive. If it doesn't, I, I think we need to go above 2252 uh, one more time before um, I'm going to say that we've won that victory. You know what I mean? So, look, uh, we talked about what we saw in the new coming year, you know, what you should talk about, you know, sustainable technology, you know, green is in making smart cities, making sustainable cities, you know, that type of thing, FinTech. uh, And I think those are the places where I'd be going. But one of the things I've seen is that dividend stocks are undervalued compared to the overall market. Dividend growth uh, is, is one of our portfolios that has done a great job over time. And our prime income list is for you guys that are over 65. We need income now. And, uh, you know, most of these are, are good, high-quality companies that raise their dividend fairly regularly. Dividend growth, they raise it every year. Or they can't be in the dividend growth. Uh, it's usually 6 to 8%. So what a way to stay ahead of inflation, you know? So this year, you get a, 7%, a 6% increase in your dividend. It's 6 to 8. You, you stayed up with inflation. Simple as that, okay? Uh, there we go. We'll leave it at that. But I think the key is is that the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list, you can get that by going to WHK 1420 AM, okay? Go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. I also think, you know, I, we're helping a, a gentleman uh, with his business. His sons don't want to participate. They're out west. He's going to sell it. We have all sorts of stuff for people like that, okay? Uh, also, for all you people who uh, want a credit access line, now's the time to borrow. Interest rates are negative 5%. In the meantime, have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. And they heard him exclaim as the radio waves faded into the night. Happy Christmas to all and to all night. By load, so hot. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.